You're listening to The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Good evening and welcome to yet another episode. Joined this week by Jacob Hawley and Sam Setti, I'm Will Taylor and this is River Radio's Football Show, Extra Time. This week we talk Mainhead's purple patch of form against the league's big hitters, Reading Women's march up the WSL and catch up with all things Reading and Wickham, as well as, of course, debating an unpopular opinion. Stay tuned for all that and much more to come on this week's Extra Time. Good evening, good evening, good evening. That's Friday, it's a Wednesday, it's 7pm. Naturally, there is only one thing that could mean and there is only one reason you could have stopped in your tracks and turned on River Radio. It's Extra Time, the football show here. I'm Will Taylor, as I mentioned. Delighted to be joining you this evening and also delighted to be joined by a debutante of all people tonight. It's our Reading correspondent, Jacob Hawley, promoted through the youth ranks. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Delighted to be in the studio. Um, been a long time coming, so yes, yeah. glad to be here, yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Also joined by a uh, show stalwart, I think it's fair to say, a veteran of the show, Sam Setti. How are you, mate? You okay? Thanks. Love the word. <laughs> stalwart, veteran. Yeah. Any, any others? I, I, if, if you're a veteran, I don't know what that makes me, mate. I'm, I'm <laughs> Alex Ferguson in this scenario, I suppose. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, yes. No, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> that's okay, mate. Not a problem at all. Great to be joined by both of you. We'll come to you first, Sam, just to talk uh, a little bit of football before we get stuck into to all of it. Liverpool looked miles off the pace, your team, of course, in in terms of the Premier League title race, but it's all looking a little bit better now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we, we've had to go without Mane and Salah, which has been been hard. I mean, Salah's been on fire this season. Um, we've lost pretty much our young midfield, so Thiago's gone. And um, Against Palace in that first half, we were looked untouchable mm. for 35 minutes. And then we decided that we're just going to play like <laughs> like Norwich, basically, for the next 45. I mean, just I think I've grown more older in the second half of that game. I have no idea what they were doing. Alisson was unbelievable. Otherwise, I think we lost that game. So, yeah, it's opened the door. I mean, it's just slightly ajar. Man City still look far too strong. We were just saying off air... It's high, they went on a run of 12. It's likely that they could go on a run of 12 again. I yeah, mean, it's just ridiculous. It's, it's silly, isn't it? Silly. Isn't it? A team that, um, you know, I mean, we'll certainly be hoping go on a run of 12, even though it doesn't look very much like it, is Jacob's beloved Reading, obviously. I mean, no win since November. Out the FA Cup to Kidderminster. 7-0 at home to Fulham. It doesn't get much worse, does it, really? No, I mean, it feels like every week we're just adding adding more stuff on to, to what's gone wrong when I come on here. I mean, it, it's all it's all looking downhill at the moment. Um, another loss against Huddersfield most recently, um, QPR on the weekend. And you just, you know, the hope's starting to fade away now. You're starting to feel like, you know, you're not really thinking that you're going to get anything out of the game. It's almost a surprise if you do. I think, I don't know whether I speak for other Reading fans, but for me, the most exciting thing that I've watched in recent weeks was... Michael Elise playing against Liverpool. I mean, we just we're not performing, and uh, something certainly needs. It's to hope that kills you. It's the, it's the hope <laughs> that kills you. It really is the hope that kills you. I mean, it, the, the, and that epitomised, of course, against Fulham when Andy Carroll scored two of the best goals I've ever seen for them to then be chalked yeah. off. That was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? I know. I mean, it's a couple of couple of absolute worldies, and um, um, they'll be played a few times, but they won't count. And 
I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't doesn't count for anything. And and now Andy Coward obviously linked with the likes of of Bournemouth and a couple of other Championship teams. So there's a good chance he won't be with us for the remainder of the season. But fingers crossed. So who's the um, Reading player who's never played more than 17 games for Reading in eight years, or some ridiculous number, who's up in Scotland? Um, uh, and he, he basically has castigated Reading from the rooftops, basically saying it's the worst run club <laughs> and he'd rather be unemployed than sign a new contract with Reading. Yeah, I mean, well, so that's Mark McNulty, but he's on loan at Dundee. He's still actually on the Reading books. But um, I think Some words for your employer, that, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Never, I would rather be unemployed than sign another contract with you. Well, I know, I mean, if, if you'd rather be employed, you'd surprised they haven't reached a, a mutual, mutual agreement to terminate his contract or something, but... I don't know what's going on there. Sorry, sorry, you're talking footballers, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was shocked and stunned that, you know, um, what's his name from Man United, who's gone to Seville, um, took a pay cut. I mean, I don't think they know the word pay and cut in the same sentence, really. Well, I think we'll certainly get stuck into that later, Mm. won't we, in the unpopular opinion section, which I can't wait to get stuck into. But we'll turn our attention to another one of our constituent clubs first, as they continue their battle to beat the drop. Another appears to be on an upward curve, though, and this is is obviously off the back of just one loss in the last five games for Maidenhead, who who were without a win in seven prior to that run. It was their latest game that ended in defeat, however, as they suffered a 3-0 loss at league leaders Stockport last night. I spoke to assistant manager Ryan Peters earlier in the wake of that result and their superb win against Chesterfield a week ago. A lot of character, especially when you go 2-0 up and then it, your, um, your league gets slashed to 2-2. To, 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 um, to then be able to go again and get the winner against a side that's been in terrific form. They're really, really solid defensively. Um, so, yeah, there was, again, you're looking at your 12th man and our fans. They probably wheeled us on to go and get that third goal and come out with a victory in the end. Obviously, like like you mentioned, it was it was a case where you completely blew them away, specifically early on in the game. So, so I mean, Josh Kelly was was just incredible. We'll, talk, we'll touch more on him late, later. But I think that was it. Was it sort of about just regaining control of the game after they come flying out of the blocks in the second half and and just sort of slowing the game a bit down down a bit? Sorry to to sort of suit um, how how you guys were sort of managing the game. Sure, yeah, and, and I think that's something that we have been that's been prevalent in us for the last few games is. It's just how to manage the game, be a little bit more calmer, resilient, and a bit more know-how in regards to just making sure we play at our tempo. We went 2-0 up quite quickly, um, and we knew after the break that it was going to come out all guns blazing. Um, unfortunately, we wasn't able to keep a clean sheet for, for a large part of that second half. And then it was just a game, uh, a case of regrouping and going again one more time. The Gaffer made some instrumental subs, Reece Smith coming on and having a hand in the cross that went in that led to the third goal. But essentially, it was trying to make sure that Chesterfield didn't gather any more momentum, us slowing the game down and then taking a chance when it came our way. I mean, it's, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that you say, obviously, it, it sounded like a very different performance from what I heard on Saturday against Halifax, of course. I mean, how, how much of a, of a big result was that, obviously, given the, the scoreline in the FA Cup a few weeks ago and keeping that clean sheet? And, and it just seemed like a very well-executed game plan. Was that how the game felt from your perspective? Sure. Halifax was most definitely... The FA Cup game was definitely in our thinking. Um, if there was any way of getting the boys any um, further momentum for this game, it was knowing. Just going back to the FA Cup game. It's not something that we're proud of. It's not something that we want to remember, but it actually used to enhance us to make sure that we made sure goals weren't going in. We were as tight as we could be, but also inflicting um, some attacks um, on their goal, which should have ended up, if we look back at the game, in three or four goals going in rather than just the one. But essentially, as long as we get the three points, um, we was happy with that. That was our 7-3. 
Yes, absolutely. It, it sounds like it was. I mean, Josh Kelly, obviously, he, he needs. He's absolutely. I was at that Chesterfield game as I mentioned, and I just thought he. All the all the lads were brilliant, but he specifically, um, as as he has been for a lot of the season, was was just absolutely amazing. How important has he been to you, and how key is he to what what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think that's. I think that's ten goals in all competitions for the boy. It's probably the first season where he's got double figures. Um, we've had a conversation with him just regarding trying to get to that twenty goal mark. Um, the strikers of yesteryear, we've had Danilo Orsi. Um, Danny Whitehall, uh, Adrian Cliff, and they've all gone on to score goals in that manner. And I don't see why he can't emulate the exact same thing. He's playing further up the middle now, so he is closer to their goal. He is a nuisance for defenders. He's our he's maiden as Robin Hood. If they if anyone rests in the laurels in that back line, Josh Kelly is going to nick that ball a few, and it normally ends in a goal. He's hit a purple patch of goals at the moment. Long may that continue, um, but he, he's willing to learn. Good character. And long may that continue. I, th- I think that might be his new nickname, the Robin Hood of goal, of, of Mayna. I think that's absolutely superb. I mean, just just touching on the result last night, then obviously it didn't quite go um, the, the way you would have liked. Do you, do you think it was a case of of uh, just a good run, just sort of naturally coming to an end after playing so many teams up the top, up that top end of the table? Yeah, sure. Um, we knew it was going to be tough. We looked at this this period and we knew it was going to be tough going into these games. But once you beat uh, Chesterfield and then you beat Halifax, obviously you want the third, you're greedy. Um, but travelling to Stockport, um, the first half was brilliant. And actually, if you, again, if you have looked for the first half of that Stockport game, we could go in to the break 2-1. Coming back out for that second half, it's a very, very different game. Unfortunately, we wasn't able to take one of those chances that fell our way. And Stockport weren't going to get any worse. They knew that we was going to try and come out of the blocks. So they made sure that they started as quick as they possibly could. They got the impetus. And once they went a goal up, a bit like what they did at Dagenham, it's really hard to get back into the game after that. They're well drilled. They played flowing, flowing football. And in fairness to us, we did have a few more attacks which could have led to goals, but unfortunately wasn't to be on this occasion. Well, I certainly think that's made up for in the way that you've performed against, against like we said, the, the sort of Halifaxes and the Chesterfield and all that sort of thing. There's been quite a few new recruits sort of coming through the door and, and a few people leaving. I mean, and, and like I said, from what I saw, some, some really, really important um, recruits as well. Does that sort of epitomise just how good Maidenhead's strategy is off the pitch as well in, in the ability to bring in these players, some, some of the mid-season as well? Yeah, it's been, it's been our makeup for a few years now. Um, we essentially the gaffer's really, really loyal to the to the group that he has. But if things aren't going the way they should be going, then there's always room. He always keeps a little bit in the budget to be able to go out and, and find a player that's going to help us to get to where we need to be. Dan has come in in goal, um, shored up that back line. We've had we've looked a lot more assured, we say defensively. And it's not just Dan, Will de Havilland is pretty much a new sign. If you look at it, we haven't been able to call up and call on him for most of the first part of our season through injury and COVID, et cetera. But he is now back and flying. You've got Raheem, who's played right back, who we haven't been able to touch on either because he's been injured all season. So with Dan being a new recruit and some of the players that have just come back into full fitness, we are defensively a lot more well-drilled. Then you look at, we've just got Sean McCluskey that's just come in as a striker. When we're looking at value for places, being able to take one off and bring someone in in the same merit, we probably didn't quite have that in regards to maybe a different Josh Kelly. If Josh Kelly wasn't playing, did we have someone in his ilk to be able to come off the bench and do that? We didn't have that. We now have that in Sean. So the gaffer is now, we would like to think, has got every puzzle, every piece of the puzzle sorted. Whereas when he looks to his bench, he can make light for light signings when necessary. 
Absolutely right. I mean, looking forward to Saturday then, I suppose. Obviously, another one of these big games in, in what's a, a very hard run for you guys as, as you take on Wrexham. Obviously, last time you played them, the cameras were out and Ryan Reynolds was there. It was all a bit Hollywood, wasn't it? Um, you did actually, however, beat them that night as well. Very, very convincingly as well, I thought, over the course of 90 minutes. How do you sort of see that going and how much of a role does that does that win against them earlier in the season play in your sort of preparation? Yeah, the, the wins definitely play a part. We'll, we'll obviously be enhancing that again. And on Thursday, we'll be letting them know what worked, what was so effective, and to make sure we don't go away from that. Um, but essentially, it's going to be pretty much the same as it has been. Trying to keep a tight, steady ship, making sure not too many chances are given to the opposition in areas where they can hurt us. And knowing that, given a, a chance, we will make it count. Um, we've been really, really good of late. Take out the stop uh, um Scoreline, we've been good. So long may it continue. We're going to go in there, um, still upbeat, still ready for another fight, knowing it's going to be difficult. Um, but with the week that we've had in regards to wins, why shouldn't we go there and have a go? Absolutely right. Well, we certainly, from all of us at River Radio, Ryan, wish you all the best on Saturday and for the rest of the season. Thank you so much for joining me. No worries. Thanks for your time. That's Maidenhead United's assistant manager there, Ryan Peters, an all-round lovely bloke as well. Some really impressive results for them recently in a, in a you know the face of adversity, which you know they, they didn't look like a team that had much fight in them. But in a typical Alan Devonshire style, they really have turned around. Sam, I know obviously you're much more involved in the higher levels, like the Premier League and all that sort glory of thing. Boy. The glory yeah. boy. I didn't yeah. want to say it, mate. I didn't want to say it. You know, like, <laughs> I, I, you know I, I put myself down. Obviously, they came unstuck last night against Stockport. Um, but just generally speaking, even in the broader football terms, how impressive our wins for teams towards the bottom of the table I mean three or four we're talking about against teams in, in the top end fighting for automatic promotion I mean the word is momentum isn't it right yeah. Yeah, and, and if you can get that confidence that momentum well look if you've anyone who's played any sport let alone football you know that minute that you suddenly everything clicks you, you become a lot freer everything starts moving if you're losing and the pressure's on everything hits the bar it doesn't quite go in nothing works right yeah and it's that that momentum so yeah it's massive and of course they're moving to their new ground um you know everything's happening for them the worst thing in the world would be to go down move to a new ground derby county is the word yeah. i'd say <laughs> it does come to mind doesn't it or everton <laughs> well you know the league quite well yeah. um how do you rate maidenhead's chances of survival this season I, do you know what, mate? I actually think after the last three or four, maybe even five results, that, that little run they've been on is enough. Um, I, I've said it before on the show when we've been speaking about it that I think, I actually think um, it's always been a case of there's three teams worse than them. Dover actually picked up their first win last night. I think they're now on minus four points instead of the minus 15 they were on at the start of the season um, through a lot of draws. So that they've got their first win, but that, that's not going to happen. Worldstone, look at look at Doom's side as well. And Kings Lynn, I mean, it's, that's a, I mean, how they were in the National league is sort of beyond me I don't even know where Kingsland is to be completely honest with you but yeah I mean I, I think they'll be okay that, there's always that talk of that magic total it's 40 in the Premier League isn't it it's about 50-52 yeah. in the National League I think they'll be fine they'll be fine to get that something's changed there and it's a, it's a tip, typical Alan Devonshire thing we, we speak about how important it is for them and it's it's exactly that that he's built a team mid-season which is no no mean feat but sums up just how important he is to Maidenhead that again he's, 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 he's not really found many problems with that he's brought in the right players 
players, got rid of the right players. He can be harsh when he needs to. And I just sort of think that's the difference. So in my mind, they'll they'll be okay. Um, but, you know, who knows? If a bad run and they get sucked back into them, I need to find himself getting a few results again. And it wasn't a great result last night at Edgeley Park. Obviously, Alan Devonshire's men continue to firmly stake their claim to stay in the National League next season. Over in Reading, however, it's a tale of two teams. For the men's side, they struggled to stop themselves getting sucked into the Championship's bottom three. And that, that suffered a further blow as they lost at home to Huddersfield. But for the Royals women, a 3-2 win over Birmingham makes it seven league games unbeaten for Kelly Chamberside. I caught up with Jesse Parker-Humphreys of the Box to Box podcast and started out by asking her about that result. I think it's obviously a great result in the context of the run they've been on. Um, I believe kind of it's a historic number of wins in in the row for the WSL for, for Reading. So, and I think it speaks a lot about kind of the tenacity of, of the team that we're seeing this season to, to be 2-0 down. Uh, against a side, Birmingham have a lot to play for. You know, they're kind of sitting right at the bottom. And I feel like it would be easy for teams to be tuned down and kind of uh, let the game go, given that Reading are in a much better position. But to kind of come back in the way they did, I think, speaks a lot to the belief uh, the team as a whole has. So Reading can obviously go fourth. Obviously, you mentioned it's been a great run for them if they win their game in hand. Just as, Obviously, you mentioned just how good a run is it, it is for them. Do you think their position sort of matches their performances um, over, over the course of the season? They've been a very streaky team. It's been quite interesting to watch. You know, they kind of started the season with this very big losing run uh, and have now kind of followed it up with quite a long winning run. I think... Um, some of those runs have been a bit influenced by, you know, games being postponed. Like, yeah, obviously, the game against Arsenal is postponed. Who knows what could have happened there? Um, so they've had quite a, like, kind set of fixtures, I'd say. But then, obviously, they did beat Chelsea in that run. So that was obviously a really, really big win. I think in terms of their league position, um, what's really impressive for a side like Reading is we've increasingly seen in the WSL over over the years that um, the bigger Premier League teams are the ones that have risen to the top. And Reading and Birmingham are now the only two women's sides in the league who don't have men's Premier League teams. And I think for Reading, you know, I know on the men's side, it's not all rosy there as well. To be sitting so like firmly mid-table, to be well out of any worries about relegation, unlike a team like Birmingham, that's something that I think is really impressive given their budget relative to the rest of the teams in the WSL. Obviously, you mentioned mid-table. It's, it's an interesting wasn't it? one, isn't it? I suppose, in the sort of thing, like I said, that they, I mean, they are only winning their game in hand away from fourth. Do you think, are they just off the, off the pace in terms of breaking into that top three then? Do you think they're, they're not quite at that level yet? I just don't think ultimately they've necessarily got the the quality that the other teams have there. I think the table at the moment, it's a bit of an interesting one. You know, you've kind of got teams like City who had a really poor start to the season, but we're kind of seeing them get into a bit more form. So I expect they'll pick up a lot more points too. Um, I think similarly, West Ham ha- are a very high quality side who maybe haven't results go their way, who I think will also pick up more, more points over the second half of the season. So I mean, it will be amazing to see a team like Reading like push on up, up towards that that upper end of the table. But I I do see them generally as being more of more of a mid table side, which, as I say, I think it is a very impressive achievement. And you know, I think what they're doing is they they're signing very well. So they've got standout players like Deanne Rose, like Natasha Dowie, who are going to get goals, who are going to bring a lot of quality to the pitch. But they maybe don't have that entire squads that allows you to really take that next step up 
Definitely. I mean, it's, it's it, like you said, it is, it is very interesting, isn't it? At just how sort of different, certainly from, from how I expected it to be, as someone who's, who's much more a slightly more casual viewer than yourself, how, how the season sort of unfolded. What have you made of it so far? I'm really enjoying it. I think it's been one of the best WSL seasons, just in terms of the the openness of of the whole league. You know, I think there's often been a concern in the past about how how competitive is the WSL really? How big is that gap between the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom? And I think this year, more than ever before, we're seeing the very best teams uh, drop points, two teams like Reading, two teams like Brighton. And just this feeling there is more seriously that everyone can kind of beat everyone. And that middle pack do have the ability to push up. You don't necessarily know who's going to get into those top three Champions League spots. Um, and I just think generally that's created a much more interesting interesting league for everyone because we're not just thinking about, okay, there's a couple of key games at the top, you know, your Chelsea Arsenal's, your Chelsea Cities that we're interested in and a couple of key games at your bottom for, for relegation. It's like suddenly those upsets are possible and they are on the table. And I think that's just only a good thing for the league. Absolutely, it is. I mean, it's interesting as well with the FA Cup coming up this weekend. Obviously, the final over the last few years has been brilliant with some amazing crowds as well, which which is just showing how how impressive and, and how sort of forward going that the women's game is, certainly in this country. There's obviously quite a few fixtures, big fixtures coming up in that one. How competitive do you expect that to be last year? Because obviously it, it wasn't that long ago that Chelsea completely romped to a victory in the final. Yeah, I mean, I think for... For those mid-table sides, you know, for teams like Reading is is this kind of cup competition, which I think really becomes interesting. Now we're seeing maybe those gaps in quality decrease. So, you know, I know Reading have got Brighton. That's a very winnable fixture. I mean, I think both teams will feel it's a very winnable fixture and both will probably be looking for an extensive cup run, given the fact that, you know, they're in a good position in the league. They don't need to worry about being relegated. Um, and they probably also know that there's not a huge amount more they can do to kick on. So I think it's going to be really interesting. Obviously, these things, it's so much about who you get in the draw. But, you know, Reading will feel like they can go and beat anyone because once you've beaten Chelsea uh, in the league, it's not something many people do. So wh- why wouldn't you think that you can go and beat any any team you're going to be drawn against in, in that competition? Well, as long as it makes for a good competition, I suppose that really is the main thing. Jesse, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. There we go. That's Jesse from the uh, from the Box to Box WSL podcast. I should say, uh, very insightful thing about the sort of the station um, about the. the league I should say and how how sort of competitive it is this year and how exciting it is for Reading to be in amongst that mix after what wasn't particularly a, a great start Jacob how impressed have you been by that turnaround and you know after what what it was a difficult start to the season wasn't it yeah it was a really tricky start to the season um that's well documented that Reading struggled at the start but they've turned it around and uh, as many people will know Kelly Chambers has now set a record for four successive wins that's a new record at the club uh, in the WSL and they're, they're, they're enjoying it. You know, they're sixth in the league at the moment. They're in a good run of form. They've had some great wins against teams like Leicester, Chelsea, most recently Birmingham. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everything's looking good on the women's side, that's for sure. Yeah, it's, it's great. So, uh, as a fan of the club, how good is it to have a side mixing it right at the top of the women's game then? It's great, yeah. I mean, especially with everything that's going on at the men's club, it's nice, it's nice to have, you know, something, something to, to step away from that and enjoy some good football. And we saw... We saw Emma Harry's goal on the weekend. It was it was a brilliant finish, a lovely volley into the top left corner, uh, and, and that just shows you know they're a top top team playing at a top level of women's football, and they're and they're they're doing really well as well. They're, 
they're fitting right in and, and they're, they're, you know, they're enjoying their football under, under Chambers and, and it's great. So is there another club in the country where the women's team is better than the men's team? Oh, that's a great question. That is a good question. Um, <laughs> to be fair, Chelsea at the moment, because they don't yeah. have a bit of a... Yeah. <laughs> Although you could argue the men are still the European yeah. champions, but... <laughs> yeah, 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 that's what I was saying. There's not many Chelsea cases, and Birmingham, I mean, Birmingham, oh, Birmingham City, maybe. Yeah. But they're struggling. Oh, yeah, they're struggling too. I'd say Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Even they've fallen off a little bit in the, in the women's side of things, really. Yeah. Spurs, well, Spurs definitely, actually. Spurs, yeah. Spurs men are really, really struggling. I mean, it's, it's interesting, I mean, in terms of the, the whole sort of dynamic, isn't it? Because what I really found interesting when speaking to Jesse is they said that it's a, it was a really... That Reddit is great where Reddit are, but they, they're not going to go any further. Like, they're not going to challenge for that top three. That top three is an elite that, I, that, that they just don't seem to think Reddit, Reddit are ready for. It's a bit of a player, but but do you think is is that something you sort of agree with, or do you think why not if we're we're there or thereabouts? I think it's no secret that there's a big gap uh, between certain clubs in in the WSL. You know, we just mentioned Birmingham City. If you compare them to the likes of Manchester United or Arsenal, there's a there's a huge gap in terms of funding and and players and quality and and whether players want to actually play for those clubs. Um, yeah, it's it's probably much harder for you know a Leicester City to happen or something, or mm. you know it's harder for the, some clubs to to break into that that top three, as you say. Um, but you know why not aim for it? Why not? I mean, we're playing well. Like I said, we're on our greatest run, uh, our, our best run in history in in the WSL. And if we carry on this form and you know we keep getting wins that we may not expect like against the likes of Chelsea, then there's no reason why we can't start to look a little higher up the league. Well, Kelly Chambers' side are back in action at Brighton in the fourth round of the FA Cup. For the men's team, meanwhile, meanwhile the pressure continues to pile on manager Velko Panovic. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. Welcome back. That's right, you are listening to The Football Show on River Radio. It's extra time with me, Will Taylor, joined by Jacob Hawley and Sam Setti. It's time to turn our attention now to the male contingent at the Select Car Leasing Stadium, who sit 21st in the Championship, just two points and one place above the drop zone. A 4-3 defeat at home to Huddersfield was the latest setback to the before the Royals, with fans now turning to the board for answers. Jacob, it's uh, it's been a really, really bad run, as we mentioned. I mean, whose confidence is low at this point from a fan's perspective? I mean, is it is it yours or is it the playing side? Is it the board? Where 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 is the issue? Where does it lie? The issues are everywhere. What I mean, <laughs> um, uh, it's a good it's a good question, not one that I really know the answer to. But uh, the board have been given a lot of blame. Um, when I spoke to Adam last week, uh, he he mentioned that he felt that the board had kind of tried to slip in that they were supporting uh, Velko Panovic into the bottom of a, a statement that. Uh, said that Liam Moore won't be captain anymore, which is a little bit cheeky. Um, but there isn't the, there isn't the funding there. there. We don't have the finances to get rid of Paunovic. If we did, then we might be looking at another points deduction. Who knows? Um, but it's it's maybe it's not worth the risk. And they're thinking, you know, let's keep Velko Paunovic until the end of the season and see whether he can keep, keep us up. But with the way we're heading at the moment, uh, you know, we're only going one way, and that's League One. That's it's a scary thought, isn't it? From being, I mean, I was at the Huddersfield game in the playoffs. Just not that, not which doesn't seem that long ago, where you where you were mere penalty kicks away from. I spoke to Ben about this as well. It's, we we know a lot about playoff final heartbreak in the studio. Trust me. Uh, the club obviously made their first run to the transfer no, market. No, I don't. <laughs> 
the, they made their sort of first phrase to the transfer market this week. Estonian international goalkeeper Carl Hein joined on loan from Arsenal for the rest of the season. How how has that deal been received? Or is it just one of those? That not much is going to be good enough at the moment, is it? Yeah, that's the thing. I think here, uh, you know, whatever the clubs stick out on social media at the moment, they're going to see receive a fair amount of backlash. Um, I think the general consensus is that the signing of Carl Hein is a bit of a weird one in that. The goalkeeper position is one of the ones that we might actually feel fairly confident in. We've just we just recalled Anderson from Morecambe on loan. Uh, Southwood, up until very recently, has been performing brilliantly, if not as one of the best players in the league, best mm. keepers in the league at least. Um, so, for me, I would stick with Southwood in, in goal, um, and and Carl Heim would come in to be a backup, you know, a backup player now that Raphael's gone. But having said that, I can't imagine Arsenal would send out. You know their goalkeeper to be a backup player in the championship mm. when he could be a backup player at Arsenal. So it's likely that he'll he'll be introduced to the side. I don't know how soon. I don't know when or whether they're looking to replace with Southwood immediately. But yeah, not a great response on social media to that signing, and uh, he'll have to prove the fans wrong at least. Well, where do you think the issues lie then in terms of the like? I, I don't know if we actually ever properly got into the whole Liam Moore thing either. I mean, that's a it's one of those that Liam Moore. It feels like has been at Reading forever. But, yeah. but but yet we're in a position now where it, does, does that whole sort of thing just epitomise everything that's going on? Yeah, I mean, he played over, I think, believe he's played over 200 games for the club. Um, you know, been a captain for a long time. Uh, he missed that penalty in the playoff final mm. that he just mentioned. Uh, straight after the year where we failed to go up when we finished third, he did put in a transfer request and I think we turned down about £10 million from Brighton, which in hindsight... <laughs> doesn't look great now um, I think we, we also did the same for Danny Loder actually he left on a free six months later but um, that's that's. I mean that's what's going on at the club silly decisions at the top and you know we're now struggling and fa- you know, we're, we're feeling the, the results of that and, and yeah it's a tricky place to be in and a hard place to get out of yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one, isn't it? Where it's it seems like a, a almost continuous string. We were speaking about this a little bit yesterday about Everton, like last week, sorry, I should say about Everton, where it seems like a, it's not one thing that's gone horribly wrong for Reading. Well, that's certainly not how it seems. It's a continuous string of bad decisions, which has culminated in, in quite a sorry situation. Like you mentioned, the turning down that 10 million bid, the, the price that, that some of these star... I mean, you, you have to see how good Elise's been for Crystal Palace, for it to seem like an absolute ridiculous decision that he went for £8 million. It's, it's, it's little things like that that seem, seem to be the problem. I mean, it certainly doesn't get any easier for Velko Panovic, whose team's faced promotion chasing West Londoners QPR on Saturday. In League One, meanwhile, Wickham suffered a setback of their own when, a two, when they let a 2-1 lead slip against Morecambe at the weekend. Their chairboys were a goal up inside two minutes thanks to Bayo Akinfenwa and led again through Jack Grimmer earlier in the second half, but two goals in seven minutes gave the Shrimpers the win after Anthony O'Connor cancelled out the visitors' early strike. The result means Wickham now it fourth in League One, but the eight point gap to seventh, the eight point gap to seventh, seventh place Plymouth. I don't know who's written that. Seventh place Plymouth. <laughs> I've no idea. That's someone needs sacking. That's ridiculous. Yes. That's why he's not here tonight. <laughs> yeah, exactly, he has yeah. been sacked. I'm not, I'm not saying names. I'm not naming yes. names. <laughs> seventh place Plymouth means Gareth Ainsworth's side remain a safe bet for the playoffs at the stage of the season. Sam, obviously, you know the chairman Rob Kuig a little yeah. bit. Just how much of his sort of family's arrival transformed the club, and how much of an achievement would it be for them to bounce back straight to the championship? Yeah, I mean, so um, I interviewed Rob recently, and what's funny is he actually decided to buy an English football club as a bet. 
Really? Is that yeah. just, so, seriously? Yeah, so he's having a barbecue with his brothers and, and family and they were talking to him about, you know, well, um, I've got this baseball club and I've got this netball, uh, <laughs> basketball club. So, you know, why don't you get a football club, you know, and some of that. So he flew over and he wasn't going to buy Wickham. He was looking for some other clubs. And on the way back to Heathrow Airport, they stopped in at Wickham. And it was a last minute, literally. Wow. He was flying back the next day and he went in, the, the conversation went well. They were looking at another club, um, just couldn't get it over the line. And uh, so he, him and it's his son who's the main face, mm. the interface now. But yeah, it, it was literally a, oh, well, let's go and have a look at them then, you know, whatever. <laughs> and that's how it came about. That's absolutely crazy, isn't it? That it can all, it can all start out like that. I mean, oh. I mean, the, the influence that family's had, though, is it, just ridiculous, isn't it? Like, I, I say this to Ben every time I see him. It wasn't that long ago that, that Wickham were at the foot of the Football League. And that's, that's quite literally, the, that, that's not metaphorical. They were bottom of the mm. Football League for quite a spell. We're talking about them now as genuine a genuine championship team or a team that is at least yo-yo in between championship yeah. league one. How, how good a journey is that for them? It's amazing. I mean, do, will they do a Wimbledon? I'm not sure mm. whether they can go that far um, or a Brentford, but I do think they've, they've got themselves in the right space. The ground needs a little bit more love and attention. I think it needs a little bit more injection. I don't know if Rob's the person to take them to the next level, but, you know, he's done a great job stabilising and bringing them to the point where, you know, it's a possibility. Mm. Is it a scary thought for you, obviously, with the, with the gap being so big, that we're genuinely looking at the biggest Thames Valley club next year in terms of league position being Wickham, though? Yeah, I mean, it's not something I'd thought about, to be honest, but... It is a real possibility. He's going to have nightmares. Yeah. <laughs> it is a real possibility. The Reading could be playing League One football and Wickham could be playing Championship football. Um, and that's not a bad thing for Wickham, of course. Um, but Gareth, the job that Gareth Ainsworth's done at Wickham cannot be, cannot be underestimated. He's been absolutely brilliant. He's someone that I and a lot of Reading fans have admired for a long time. Uh, you know, he's got absolutely no reason to leave Wickham at the moment. He turned Sunderland down a couple of years ago, I believe. I think so, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, he's done a brilliant job there and, and a lot of credit has to go to him for, for keeping a club like Wickham uh, at such heights. I mean, Definitely. I mean, the, the only issue I have with him is the leather jacket. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's any attire for a manager at any point at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? it must, it's frustrating, obviously, I imagine, for you to see a club that seems to be run so well in, in the face of it. But just looking at them, is it? do you, do you think it is... That, does it sort of encapsulate just how much is down to good management in terms of actual... Like the actual manager, Gareth Ainsworth, because his squad isn't particularly star-studded. It's ageing. It's not particularly young. There's players, we were speaking about Gareth McCleary last week, who was turned down by Oxford a year before, he, like six months before he signed for Wickham, and now he's one of their key players. Is it about being useful with your resources? And is that why, do you think, why you think they've done so well? Yeah, I agree. I mean, like you say, they've made a lot of astute signings, uh, Gareth McCleary being one of them. Um, I know as a Reading fan, obviously, how good he can be on his day. And... Oxford and Reading didn't want to take a gamble on him and he's, and he's proven his worth at Wickham now. They they do spend well, well, they spend wisely, but I think the main thing really is the amount of respect that Gareth Ainsworth has there. Uh, he really he really is well respected amongst the players and, and anyone who comes in, uh, he's, and the fans as well, of course. So so that's that's where the that's where the success comes from, I believe. You know the amount of the amount of respect that he holds at that club and and, it, and the results 
the results show that. I mean, yeah, they absolutely do. Well, the chair boys certainly face a challenging a challenge in their next game as they uh, as fourth play fifth when they welcome MK Dons to Adams Park on Saturday. We do, of course, wish them all the best for that. Meanwhile, it's time for us to look further afield as we chat about the latest from the wider world of football in Hot Topic. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. That's right, extra time here on River Radio with myself, Will Taylor. We're now going to take a look at the football news from beyond the Thames Valley. And this week, it's Watford who've made the headlines after, yes, shock horror, parting company with manager Claudio Ranieri. The Italian had only been at Vicarage Road for three months, but lost 11 of his 14 matches in charge, which saw the Hornets drop into the Premier League's relegation zone for the first time this season and left the owners, left the, owners the Pozzo family, feeling as though they had to act. His replacement is former... His replacement is former England manager Roy Hodgson and our reporter Ed Tolson chatted to Tom Wicks of the club's Golden Pages fanzine. I wasn't really surprised at all. Um, the, the ownership structure at Watford is such that they're proactive, I guess is the best way of saying it. They don't tend to rest on their laurels um, and they, uh, they, they make changes where they deem them necessary. And I think Claudio's record in the last 12 games, he's, he's picked up, I think, two points from from about 30-odd, so it wasn't a surprise, particularly amongst Watford fans. Well, Claudio Ranieri was an appointment that raised eyebrows following that disappointing spell he had at Fulham. Do you think he's someone who could have been the right fit, or was that never on the cards? No, I was I was quite pleased when he was appointed. I thought he was someone that was in a position to steady the ship, so to speak. It's quite a, an up-and-down place, Watford, uh, particularly the dressing rooms. It seems to have a very fragile ecosystem, so... I think he was, with his abundance of experience, he was a good appointment. But I think the structure of the club is, is such that it's so difficult for any head coach to come in. So, um, you know, there, there are a few good good performances against the bigger clubs. And there was certainly room for optimism there. But uh, it, it was ultimately, it was the, the likes of Norwich uh, and Newcastle that were his downfall. We didn't perform as expected. And um, reports suggest that there was a bit of uh, dressing room um, unrest. I'm interested too in what you make of the timing as well, given the transfer window has less than a week to go. I think um, the way that the Pozzo um, ownership structure works is that they, when they do make a change, they like to allow uh, as much time as possible with, for a, a new head coach to come in and make changes. So certainly with the, the two weeks between the Norwich game and the next game at Burnley, that wasn't a surprise at all. Roy Hodgson is now set to take charge. What's your reaction to that appointment? It's a difficult one because I think the real change needs to happen over summer. I think there's definite cultural issues that need to be ironed out and everyone from the, you know, from the owner down really needs to deconstruct their own performances. What we should be doing is looking at a more long-term manager, a bit more of a kind of project. Perhaps I think the, the ideal style is, is looking at people like Thomas Frank at Brentford and uh, Graham Potter at Brighton and, and what they've done. I think for now... They need someone that will give us a chance to stay up. It's a, it's a tough job to do for the rest of the season, but I don't think there was anyone else that would have been more suited to this. Um, I know Roy Hodgson will give it a great go, and um, he's got a former Watford's manager, Ray Lewington, backing him up. So that will certainly be, uh, be good news for the fans. Looking at Watford's squad, do you believe this is a group of players who are capable of staying up? I think we've got some fantastic individuals, certainly in the, the attacking department. The problem being just that they are individuals. 
We need someone that, that can knit that squad together. And I think we've certainly got one of, if not the most talented squad on paper amongst the relegation candidates. Defensively is, is our problem. We've got this horrible record of not having kept a clean sheet. Uh, I think the last clean sheet was our 3-0 victory over Liverpool, which was pre-pandemic. And obviously quite a lot has changed since then. So that's a glaring issue that, that Roy Hodgson will need to sort out. But I'm confident, certainly with his Palace history, of, of doing that and, and remedying the, the defensive problems that they had, that he can give it a good go at least. But in the attacking department, there's definitely goals in this team. And um, while I'm not expectant, I'm hopeful, I'd say, is the best, the best way to put it. Well, the wider football world has long taken an interest in the way Watford is run. Hodgson will be the 15th manager the team has had since the Pozzo family took over in 2012, which hints at a very short-term approach without a legacy ever really being built. Would you agree with that? I think the, the way the, the Pozzo model runs is that it's based upon their, their ownership of Udinese in Italy. And I think it ha- that has worked in the short term, effectively. But now question marks are being raised about the impact this is having long term with the number of managers that seem to be uh, in and out of the revolving doors at Vicarage Road. I think certainly amongst the fans, there's there's reason for concern there. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because the club finds itself back in the Premier League, having had a sustained period in the top flight from 2015. Do you see method behind what some might feel is, is madness? Yeah, I, I think the first three or four years in the Premier League, it worked brilliantly. A very uh, unusual system, quite common in, in Serie A in Italy, um, and it seemed to bear fruit for, for a while. Um, so I, I can certainly see why they, they're trying to use a tried and trusted method. But as I said, I think long term, there are difficulties because it is a disconnect between the head coach coming in and the squad. And I don't think it's it's a viable way of working in the long term where you've got a squad that's being assembled by people that aren't coaching the sides and aren't putting out the team at at the weekend and I think that disconnect is is starting to show and I think with the um, rumours of dressing room discontent I can can see why because they know that most of them will outlast two or three managers in their lifetime so if they don't like their methods perhaps then they know that things that things will change quickly. Well, finally, we couldn't let you go without asking you the six million dollar question. Do you think the Hornets will stay up under Hodgson? It's a tough question. It's one I've been thinking about over the last few days, certainly post Norwich and before Ranieri we were sacked. I'm one of the rare ones that don't think that we'll stay up, but I think that it will probably be close. I think the damage was perhaps done against Norwich, unfortunately, but I'm sure it'll be exciting for the rest of the season. And perhaps in my outlook, it'll be a bit more of a pleasant surprise if we do stay up rather than a, a crushing disappointment if we do go down. Well, Tom, it's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much for your contributions. All the best for the rest of the season. Thanks very much. There we go, Tom Wicks there, speaking to us from the Golden Pages fanzine. We're just speaking off air then, just about this managerial merry-go-round at Watford and, and what it resents for a club. Some sort of different opinions, Sam. I found it really interesting that that you're sort of, the attitude that you think to, to the cutthroat, you know, sort of managerial, managerial merry-go-round, you sort of think that's the nature of the beast, right? I just think time moves on. I, look, it's great, but we all know that Wenger and Fergie time, 20 years in a club, is gone. Right. So now you're down to probably two seasons, maybe if you're lucky. Um, 
a couple of windows, and if you don't see any improvement, you're gone, right? Watford's just a little bit more cutthroat. I mean, you know, I could see Tuchel being sacked by Chelsea this season, right? If they drop out the top four and it don't look like they're going to make the top four, the fact that he won the European Cup last season, yeah. he'll go, right? So... Did, did it with Di Matteo, didn't they? Yeah, the they, they won it last. Like a Ranieri too. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 football has this wonderful... Like the rules, you know, the unwritten gentleman rules of football. It's it's bad form, you know. You've got to give them time, you know, all this stuff. And I think they've just got to accept that Watford have a different model. Do you, what do you think of that model, Jacob? Because for me, I, I, I mean, like, I, I understand the point you're making, Sam, in that football does move on and that's how it is now. But I don't think, I, I like, this this sort of cutthroat, there's no, loyalty for me is such a big part of football, especially, and this is the thing, I, I appreciate it's not anymore, but you look in the terraces and there's fans, I mean, you, you look at us, I mean, Sam, you supported Liverpool for, for a long time. Yeah, seven. Exactly, yeah, Jacob, you've been probably a Reading fan black as long. and white then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've probably supported Reading as, as long as you can remember. That loyalty that comes Understand? Do you not? Do you not think there's an element of, of the fans expecting that to then be radiated by the club in Doesn't terms work. of management and things? No, we we pick a club for life. They pick a club for a season or two. I mean, Rafa, by the very nature of the fact that he was Liverpool's manager, could yeah. go and manage Everton. His answer is, "I'm a professional. This is my job." Yeah. No, right. I know. I do get up, but all I'm, but football is a very different beast, isn't it? And the, the, all, all I'm saying is that I just think it's it's slightly different in the sense that. People don't follow companies religiously home and away up and down the countries like they do football They clubs. get stalking. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got some here at River Radio, funnily yeah. enough. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, so, but, so football's a completely different beast in that sense. Do, do you think there's an element, Jacob, of, of loyalty should be, should be honoured better? Or do you think if it works for them, then fair enough? I think in Watford's situation, it's not really working for them. Um, but given, in this one in particular, Ranieri's record... I know that they sack a lot of managers and, and that's the first thing that people will say on social media when they see that Ranieri's gone. But at the end of the day, it's a results business and you know they're in an awful run of form and, and in any other situation, any other club, that run of form would get you sacked. Can I just point out, Rafa got £7 million as a, for six months' work. <laughs> Mourinho's got more money from being sacked than he has from actually working. I mean, let's be honest. So these guys, a, yeah, yeah, know let's they, get yeah. the violins out for yeah. Oh, no, he's got... Like, what does that mean? Oh, he's got to go and spend time on the golf club until somebody calls him up and says, do you want another 20 million to come and be the manager? Really? Oh, my heart bleeds for and you. And if you, if you do wonder why I've been on River Radio for almost a year now, it's for that exact reason, Sam. So the payout course is just ridiculous. I can't afford to you let can't. you go. <laughs> it's exactly that. But I don't know. I, I, I always just think, it's uh, this cutthroat approach. I always think you want to see the loyalty that you give to your club mirrored in the way that they treat managers and players. That's always how I felt about it. But I understand, look, it's a results-driven business and 11, 11 losses in 14 games isn't going to cut it, especially when you're trying to stay in the Premier League. And there's, there's for the first time probably in a while in when... Watford have been in a relegation scrap. There is a genuine, genuine chance of them staying up. There's four or five teams this year who, who could go down. Well, that brings the question, who is going down? Ooh. I think Norwich. I would have said Norwich, yeah. but I don't know. Anymore. Suddenly, I, don't know. They're, they're, they're I like Dean Smith. I like, do like Dean well, Smith. Exactly. They're pulling I, a few I, I, I do, I do, I do think this year could be Burnley's. I do. I'm afraid. I think. Yeah. I think they've they've been brilliant, but they've lost. They obviously oh, lost Chris Wood. If he goes it? down, does that mean Dyche gets the job at United? I hope so. Yeah, that would be great. So that gravelly voice after just being beat six one by <laughs> City in a Manchester derby would just be brilliant, wouldn't it? It's like he just squ- swallowed a bag of gravel. Yeah. It's absolutely superb. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do. I do think it will. I do think it. It will probably be. I, I don't think this is going to work out for Watford. I, I like Roy Hodgson. I, if I had to pick, I'd probably say Watford's 
Oh, it's so hard though, isn't it? Because yeah, who goes? I think Watford. I think Watford go. To be honest, I think Everton could be drawn into. Do you really? Yeah. Think so? Well, um, they're going to stick with Big Dunk. Mm. Okay, he's sweat, blood, and tears, right? Uh, and he ble- he bleeds blue. Mm. But that doesn't mean he's he a put good... a bar tab behind a lot of the bars in Everton to get yeah. like around the crowd. But I mean, my, 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 the point being is, like, you know, they will run through brick walls for him, but that doesn't mean they'll win games, no. right? And at the end of the day. Had they been mid-table when he took over, like he did last time, they've got enough points just to get get out of it, yeah. right? They'll yo-yo up and down 10th, 11th, 12th. They're, they're 16th or something yeah, like that. Yeah, they're right in you know, it. Yeah. Right at the, you know, one game, two games away from being in the bottom three. Mm. I can see them losing. Wow, that's that really would interesting. Be interesting though, wouldn't that, it? Everton in never the been relegated. Never been relegated. Wow. So that would be that would be a first. Just in terms of Roy Hodgson's appointment, then I thought when he left Crystal Palace, that was it. I thought we were all waving goodbye to Roy. We've forgotten about Euro 2016. He's like, bye, Roy. It's been an absolute pleasure. A great servant to the English game. He just couldn't stay away, could he? No, I mean, I, th- I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's his 22nd job in a 45-year managerial <laughs> career. That's incredible. Which is crazy. I mean, that is incredible. Yeah, he did, like you said, he did retire uh, last year, but it wasn't to be. Obviously, too long away from football, and he thought he'll get back involved. How much? So. How much of it do you think is his wife? Oh, well, I mean, do you reckon she's just got so? He's never been at home, and she's got. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, at least Harry Redknapp's got the decency to go and get some horses, yeah, yeah. And go and have some lunches, and go to Australia for a six yeah, weeks. He's yeah. never around, you know. His wife doesn't have to worry about it too much. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's, it is an odd appointment, isn't it? I mean, I thought I, I, I just couldn't really. I can't really work it out. I, you'd have thought. I saw. I sort of thought this age of, of fifty to sixty year old managers who did well. And you know, sort of over the years was was sort of over, but it doesn't seem to be, does it? This manager and Mary go around just keeps, keeps turning. Doesn't well, it's it? jobs for the boys. Yeah, it is a jobs for the boys, and I think sometimes they go, okay, we've exhausted every other angle. Let's just call in Sam or Roy, mm. and that's what West Brom tried to do yeah. last year, wasn't it? And you know, he until last year had never been relegated, so you know, it, it's. Yeah, Watford, you're going down, mate. <laughs> there you go. That's a Sam Setti exclusive. Watford, yep. you're going, you're down, going down. Some some job Dean Smith's doing as well, which is which has made it a lot harder because obviously Norwich were, were dead and buried to a lot of people. Jacob, do you do think it's too much? It's too much of an ask for, for Roy Hodgson. Uh, for Roy Hodgson, um, I mean, I quite like the appointment. I think Roy Hodgson. Really? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that's a bit of an unpopular opinion in itself, but <laughs> but I think. I think what he did at Palace was he, he gained them that stability and now they're, you know, they're looking to move forward with more of a plan under Dougie Freeman. It's all right, he'll be your next yeah. manager soon, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 47th job, he'll be there, mate, don't you worry. As long He's as only as got me. three months at Watford and then he'll be around yeah. the corner to you lot. As long as Reading avoids Sam Allardyce and, and Roy Hodgson, then... I don't mind watching those appointments from an outside perspective. I will not have any big slam slander. I think big Sam slander. I think he's Sam Aladishi. Yeah, yeah. If he was called that, he'd have been the best manager in the world. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you that for a fact. Well, obviously, a lot of agreeable opinions. It seems to be a general consensus that Watford aren't going to avoid the drop this year. Let's turn to something a little bit more unpopular. It's time for Unpopular Opinion. Across the Thames Valley. One more time. Across the Thames Valley. This, this is River Radio. Well, now for some pop music. Try this. I wasn't really surprised. The Football Show on River Radio. This is Extra Time. 
That's right, you're listening to Extra Time on River Radio. The show is coming towards an end, and there is only one thing that could mean. It's time for our unpopular opinion section. For those of you who aren't familiar, one of the panel or a writer in has basically decides to pit their most unpopular opinion to the other two panellists. They'll try to justify it, they'll try to argue it, but seeing as it's not me with the unpopular opinion today, they will not win. It falls on Sam Setti this week. Sam, we, we, we spoke very briefly about this before, and we didn't want to give too much away, did we? Tell us what you've got. So, I don't understand. Footballers are well, 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 well paid, right? I mean, both well, but more than well yeah. paid, yeah. So, um, and it feels like they need an incentive, strangely, to play well, which is a win bonus. I mean, it's like, here's your job and you're super well paid, but we think you need more money to even make you run farther and faster. It, it does It does remind me of a great story, just before we get into it, um, about Harry Redknapp, but as you just mentioned, when he was trying to sign Jermaine Defoe for, for Portsmouth and his mum was his agent and she went into the room and said, yeah, we want a goal bonus if he scores 20 goals. We, we want another 25, 30 grand. And Harry Redknapp what, said, what do you think I'm paying him for? <laughs> what do you think I'm paying 20 million for from Donovan? Yeah. And it's one of those things, isn't it, where it is exactly that. Okay, so, so what you're saying is that if they get a win bonus, hmm. it, should they, if they lose, should they not get the money? Or Well, no, I, I think, well, strangely, they should have a loss reduction, right? Really? Okay, that's because, interesting. Because, look, if... You, the win bonus is historical. Alan Hansen was on £600 a week, right? So getting a win bonus, got it, right? The money was below par, so getting an extra little yeah. bonus works. Not when you're on 100000 a week <laughs> and a win bonus. They probably don't even care about the win bonus as an amount because it's probably not that big an amount, yeah. right? But, but, you know, they don't need it. And I think, but actually, if you're going to have the win bonus, have the flip side. Yeah, you know what? You played rubbish today. You didn't sweat... You didn't run. You didn't do that. We're taking ten percent of your salary off this week. Right. Okay. So my, my first thing with this that, that frustrates me. I'll, I'll, try, I'll pass over to Jacob for his thoughts in a sec. But one thing that, that I, I don't get with this is that there there are so many different types of losses in football. It's not like every loss is like a three nil humiliation, horrific loss where everyone's just. Play. I've I've watched my team. You, you will have all watched our teams when you know that that everything's been left on the pitch, yeah? So the FA Cup, for example, if you've got a, a non-league team going to Liverpool and they and they lose Shrewsbury, for example, lost 3-1 mm-hmm. to, to Liverpool the other week, should they have then had to had a loss reduction? Well, no, but now they're all monitored, right? Sweat monitored, right? Right, got okay. Those little, what do they call it? Those membras on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know what the official name is, but they look like membras, <laughs> right? And so they'll know the numbers. So guess what? You know, you can simply say if you b- go below the red line in terms of performance, you, you get hoiked. Does, does that does that not then become more about personal performance and and how far they've run rather than result though? Does, it's not about whether you because you could lose and not run, you could I win think and you not can run. Put a number of metrics, but you can't. How how do they do it? Just because you've won, the whole team gets a little bonus, right? That shouldn't be the incentive that w- makes you want to win. You should want to win because you've got a gut feel for wanting to win. Right? <laughs> I know what you mean. But it's the same with salesmen, isn't it? They should want, it's their job, they should want to sell anyway, but they're all on commission. No, the difference is the club or the, the company you're in mind will get a bigger amount of money. So if your commission is set at, you know, 50 uh, sales and you put an extended bond, 60 sales, the company still makes money. But but the club makes money based on how, if your team keeps winning, no? Yeah, but only, okay, a good point. I'm not going to argue, actually, that's not a bad point. 
But do a hundred thousand pound a week footballers really, really, really need? Maybe non-league players, maybe yeah. you know, Division three players, mm. and it's you know, it's an extra twenty five, fifty quid in your back pocket, whatever. Yeah, I, I don't I, think I when it's a hundred thousand a week, you need it. Go on, and Jacob, let's have it. What you, what do you think? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, like I agree with what you say about maybe lower down, you might want to implement that yeah. um, sort of win bonus. But when players are earning between one hundred, two hundred thousand pound a week, they don't need an extra thirty thousand pound for the win. Um, but then you're talking, you mentioned sort of metrics and stuff. Maybe you could look at if Chelsea, you know, if Chelsea lost 3-0, then, you know, it's per goal, clean sheet, you know, you, you don't get the clean sheet. So you pay for, you pay for back your wages for each goal that you've conceded or I don't know how it would be done. I don't know how it would be implemented, but I Maybe could see it working. I mean, three strikes now. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. Three losses. I mean, we'll I, I, do, I do want to broaden this conversation out slightly, though, in the sense that we, we speak about, it, and yes, it is ludicrous money that footballers are on. It's not necessarily their fault, though, is it? That the money's there for them to be paid. It's not like they're. they're it's, it's not like what I'm saying is that, like, and I don't agree with how much they're paid, but it's not necessarily their fault. And there's, there's, I, I do think. That money, obviously, it seems ludicrous. But when you when you've got that money and when you're in that position, it probably doesn't seem as much as it it wouldn't seem as much as it does to us, does it? So that that incentivization of it surely is is worth so much more. Even even if you're Manchester United, even if you're playing for Chelsea, I mean, the players from Man United won't even get many bonuses recently. That's for sure. But now they do because they all sneak it in the ninety third <laughs> minute. <laughs> it's that Raiola, isn't it? He's oh. just a nightmare. Um, but I, I don't know. I just sort of think my, my only frustration with it is I, one: I don't think it's footballers' fault how much they get paid. No. And if and if you want to stick a bonus on that, and then you know. I just don't think the win bonus I think is an absolutely beautiful thing and I don't I disagree with the loss bonus the win bonus is a brilliant thing because but I know you this probably isn't. This is probably an unpopular opinion. So if there's ten minutes left of a game and you're blowing and you've ran and you've ran and you've ran for eighty minutes, and but you know a goal is a difference between fifty grand more or less. Shouldn't be even thinking about that. No, but but you do. But that's how no, you it shouldn't. That. I mean, I've played. You played sport, right? Well, <laughs> yes, I mean, I haven't, I haven't gone. You know, taking the ball off the back of a scrum and gone. You know, oh my god, if I get in the corner now, I'm going to get an extra. But tenner. do not think subconsciously that plays on the march. Shouldn't it? Shouldn't at all. But that's I mean, but the way the game's gone, the money in the game, and how how much is involved in it for both the club mm, and the player. I'd say it's more likely bet Fred. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But I, I, I just think there's there's that in, that incentivization is key, and I just think there's so many different ways of losing a game of football that you can you can be absolutely robbed by a referee decision. All right, maybe. Well, I'd say less in the Premier League, but probably more so now. Well, it's been implemented actually. You can be robbed by a referee decision. You, you can an unlucky deflection that's no one's fault. You can batter a team for ninety minutes and still still come away losing. When players are feeling low and frustrated by a loss, it's the worst thing to do. Go, all oh, right. By the way, there's another twenty grand off your pay packet. But you know, if it's to your point, ten minutes to go, and you know you're going to lose ten percent of your salary, you might suddenly find an extra little gear to go up. Yeah, like an, an incentive, sort of. But that's what a win bonus. Is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. it's carrot or stick, right? Which one do you want to use? I mean, yeah, you're, you're saying use point. the carrot. I'm saying use the stick. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to give a win bonus and a loss bonus. Just, just get rid of both of them, really. I mean, that's well. That's that's the other other option. If you it? if you want to boost personal performance, you want to be looking at maybe a goal bonus, clean sheet bonus, assist bonus. But win bonus it's like Sam was saying. You don't know how much one player's contributed to that win. If I come on in the 89th minute and we win 
four nil. Why am I going to get a win bonus for that? Like, <laughs> you know, do you might want to have a look at the. Well, who, who knows why Jacob's on the show bonus tonight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's the parents' fit. <laughs> I think the worry is, you know, you get the situation where we had it with Henson and Balotelli. You know, one taking, wants to take the penalty, and it's like mm. at the end of the day, is it because they were going to get more if they scored? Right? Yeah. Who it's, knows? It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, just remove that out the, out the out the equation. Just it doesn't need to be in. Either side, like win so do, or loss. do you think now though? Like we got, I know, I know. Obviously, it's a hypothetical. Are we not? Are we not now? Way too far gone to even think about getting rid of that that, that other game. The game changes. Do you not think we're too far down the line now, where it would be too hard to just go yeah, just, right? Let's scrap it all. Well, you know what will happen. So I've heard the the, the counter argument. Right, clubs pay the football agents' fee for when a player gets well, transferred. Right. Yeah, that's ridiculous. As opposed to the player playing it out of their own fee. Mm-hmm. Right. And and sometimes the agent gets double paid. That's become standard, right? That shouldn't exist at all. So I just think what will happen is the win bonus can be just sort of put into your salary. At the end of the season, okay, Jacob, wow, you played amazing. Yeah, you deserve a pay rise. How about that? See, this, this, is, yeah. the, this is the thing, though, is that it's so subjective. It's so subjective what a good game is and what a bad game is. But the is, managers are the final arbiter. But, but, then, but then you're opening doors to corruption and, and all that sort of thing, no? Well, because, I, you know... Put it this way, it's subjective, you know, at the end of the day, when I issue you your new shares in River Radio, how many more shares you get? <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, no. I'm open to corruption. Yeah. But, no, but, but, it should, that, but that that door shouldn't even be opened in football. Do you not think, like, should, should we even be in a position where we're talking about places potentially being corrupted and, and things like that? And, and it's so hard to quantify what a good game for a defender is and what a good game for a striker yeah. is. If a, a def- You could see three or four great tackles and like it's a, it's a classic argument with the goalkeeper. Goalkeeper can make 10 match-winning saves but then drop one in his own net and no one remembers the match-winning saves. Mm. A striker misses 10 sitters and score one, everyone remembers the goal. Sure. I just think it's way too hard to quantify to put it in a decision. For Maybe just remove it altogether. Then. Just stop paying them. I think that the only way <laughs> kiss the badge, yeah. or if you're Kieran Trippier, miss the badge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the only way it would would be got rid of would be if you know an officiating board like FIFA or something yes. was to well, say FIFA's a bad example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get rid of bonus fees. Yeah, I, I think thought you were going to say get rid of FIFA. That I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, we are we are rapidly running out of time on uh, on extra time on Riff Radio. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jacob, and thank you, Sam. We'll be back again at the 